Welcome to Zero Brightness, a podcast about horror video games. My name's Ali. I'm joined by my friend James. How's it going, James? It's going pretty good, but I think I may have gotten a virus. I've been playing all these weird games and all this weird shit's happening to my computer. Yeah, well, a couple episodes ago, I told everyone to get viruses with us, and I guess you just you just took my advice, dude. <laughs> Downloading those free games off the internet. That Epic Game Store, I got that Chinese spyware virus. They are monitoring all my stuff. They're going to sell my data. Look, don't download Doki Doki Literature Club. (laughs) That's right. Today we're talking about two fourth wall breaking meta horror type games that really want you to think you got a virus on your computer. (laughs) Um, uh, Those games are Doki Doki Literature Club and I'm Scared. Yes, great. Little That's games. the name of the game. I'm scared. I'm not scared right now. <laughs> I was scared playing. I'm scared. Yeah, I gotta say, like, I mean, we don't talk about this much because a lot of the games we play just like aren't like super scary. I think once you play enough horror games, you're just kind of jaded to it. Both these <laughs> games freaked me the heck out. They were like yeah. real deal scary. Especially, I'm scared. Totally. Yeah, that game got way under my skin well both of these games like lull you into a sense of security in different ways yeah we'll get into it but um yeah these games are made to uh surprise and shock you yeah for sure now before we get too deep into it as always this episode is brought to you by you you can go to patreon.com slash zero brightness to find out how you can help support the show and sign up And also, we're a game club. At the end of every episode, we tell you what we are going to play next. And you can play along at home if you like. You can jump in the Discord and talk to us about it or about whatever. Um, Basically, the Discord is just whatever. Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) uh, Lots of fun. Lots of fun. So you james it looks like so we both have sidebars guys what is this it's newsweek it's 1999 we're writing articles about like you know the palestinian conflict and like hair hairstyles of famous people we're just Mm -hmm. doing it and so we got fucking sidebars dude Mm -hmm. so looks like first sidebar you want to talk a little bit about fourth wall breaking games both of these games break the fourth wall in really interesting ways um I guess we won't talk spoilers right now, but they do. But it's definitely not the first few games that have done it. The fourth wall breaking tradition goes back really far. I think the most early notable examples are games like Star Tropics for NES that comes with what looks like a blank piece of paper. But in the game, you get a clue to put water on it and it becomes a note from your grandpa or something like that. Yeah. Um, X-Men for Sega Genesis had a fourth wall breaking point, which I actually got stuck on when I was a kid and didn't realize what I was supposed to do. Um, the game tells you to uh, like reset the computer, so you think like in the stage in the game that you're supposed to find a computer to reset, which I never found, but you're actually supposed to press the reset button on your Sega Genesis. <laughs> I'll never know what happens after that, because I never solved that mystery when i was little yeah also the game honks so i'm not gonna play it again true um, true truer words <laughs> were never spoken you know, in the in the ps1 era of course we had uh metal gear solid 
which uh, had you look on the back of the box. <laughs> one of the, one of the characters, I don't remember which one, might have been Otacon, tells you to look at the bottom, of, uh, tells you to look at the back of the box for a uh, specific frequency, and also, of course, the infamous uh, Psycho Mantis cutscene where he reads your yeah. memory card and tells you what you've been playing. Yeah, and. That one, like, obviously blew everybody's mind. Um, yeah. But the, the manual trick was really cool. A few other games I've played have done that. And I remember in that era of manuals, that was kind of a fun thing mm-hmm. devs would sometimes do is, like, hide something in the manual. I always thought that was cool. In- unless it's DRM for your old PC games. Uh, yeah, that's not cool. <laughs> and then, you know, of course, uh, Eternal Darkness on GameCube did a bunch of stuff. Made you think mm-hmm. that your TV turned off. Things like that. Around this time, too, uh, roughly, you know, between those two games, there's a director named Akira Ueda, who actually made a bunch of games that I think really furthered the kind of, like, using meta narrative in video games. Mm. Um, He worked on... He's a director who famously worked on Super Mario RPG and then went on to make Moon, the Japanese-exclusive RPG that's supposedly getting localized for the first time next year, maybe. Um... And yeah, he made a DS game called Contact, which I incorrectly shouted out in the last episode. It's called Contact. I don't mm. know what I called it. You called it Control. Um, you had uh, Alan yeah. Wake on the mind. Yeah, I'm always thinking about my friend Alan. <laughs> um, but yeah, Akira Ueda is amazing. Contact for the DS is amazing. Like It's just like a super meta game. Basically, you are a character in the game because there's a character in the game who like talks to you, the player, and is like basically trying to help you guide your avatar while also like trying to disguise your existence from the avatar. Mm. It's super wild. It's like such a cool game. Like the gameplay is kind of like, eh, but the story and the concept and all that is like, you know, 11 out of 10. It's so, so, so good. But um, yeah, he's a really interesting artist and a lot of his, all of his stuff at least has like a little bit element of that, like meta narrative and meta humor. Mm. The RPG Moon was a huge influence on Undertale, which kind of had something similar going on. You totally. know, a lot of those similar themes of like the player being part of the narrative, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Yeah. Big influence on both of these games, I think, you know. One meta game that's really popular on the internet is uh, Spec Ops The Line, which mm. I don't know a ton about, but apparently it's like a military style shooter. And throughout the game, you start realizing that um, you're sort of like the bad guy. And even like the loading screens are like saying how much of a monster you are for killing all these people. Yeah, that game's super interesting. Um, There's a really good article that came out, I want to say a couple of years ago, maybe a year ago. It was like a postmortem about this game. This game generated a lot of discussion when it came out, you know, because so the if you go read this article, you really should. I think it was on Polygon, but I may be mm-hmm. wrong there. Super fascinating because like basically the game had a head writer, but it was like two guys who came up with the idea for the game and were spearheading development of it. Their idea was basically to use the format of just a generic military shooter to tell like a really dark, fucked up anti-war, anti-military story. Mm. And they did, but the, because of the topics they're covering and the way they're broaching these subjects, it's really debatable. Like, if they did it well, if they did a good job. Like, but they're talking about how their intention was like to get like bros 
at the fucking you know walmart to like buy the game <laughs> and then take it home and just have their like world rocked yeah which is a very weird thing because it's once again it's debatable if a that even works b that's even a noble goal like <laughs> c what even is this because like I've been curious about this game, but I'm never going to fucking play it. Cause like, yeah. I don't need to go play a military shooter where I murder a bunch of Arab people. Like, God even if it. it's like for a good cause, like, mm. no, that's not how I fucking relax in my free time, you know? <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. It's an interesting game. Reading that article was fascinating. It's probably the most I ever need to interact with it. The dudes who wrote it seem like they had good intentions. They're maybe idiots. Mm. Uh, or hacks, possibly. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I don't. Ma- I don't make these categories. So, but uh, very fascinating. It is a fascinating story. I'll try and dig up that article and maybe share that with yeah. people on our social media or something. Because, like, great read. Oh man, wow. Did I kill a while at work reading that? Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, this sort of tactic in video games is really interesting because. I think in traditional games and, you know, for a long time in video games, it was seen as, like, shocking. But then once we got used to it or once we knew that, like, okay, a game might do this, right? Mm. Like, it wasn't shocking anymore. So it became really interesting to see what games could actually pull this off or what games could actually get a response out of you, the player, by using this tactic. And I think that like weird indie games definitely can do it a lot better yeah well and both of these games both have deceptive presentations mm-hmm. you know doki doki literature club seems like you know a romantic visual novel at first and it kind of holds up that illusion for you know quite a bit and then uh, i'm scared comes off as like a amateurish kind of slapdash my first game kind of feel mm-hmm. and then you know it, it holds that illusion for a while so yeah um it, it it has the both of these games have deceptive intentions to the player right and i, I they work really really well mm-hmm. um so let's let's start talking about doki doki literature club because that's actually a good segue um because with this game the creator of it uh dan salvato uh stated explicitly that his two biggest influences i mean besides like visual novels right Mm -hmm. because it seems like he decided that was the form but the things that really influenced him were number one you may nikki (laughs) really which yeah which we talked about last week and you can go listen to us talk about that a bunch but you can obviously see the influence there because you may nikki is like a seemingly really cute simple Mm -hmm. game that's actually very horrifying and scary and unsettling you know yeah but his other big influence is something that is really interesting. It's the game Eversion. Did you ever play this game? No. Okay, I did. Oh man. <laughs> okay, so this must have been in the maybe late 2000s or early 2010s or something. Um, there's this game called Eversion, and similar to Yume Nikki, we talked about it in the episode. But Yume Nikki was kind of like this internet mystery, like cursed file sort of thing like you downloaded it and you're like oh my god what is this what is on my computer now Mm -hmm. um eversion was similar it was almost like a flash game or something but you had to download it like you wouldn't you know play it on new grounds or something uh remember new (laughs) grounds 
Yes. Sorry. Just taking a moment to pour one out for new grounds right now. Um, but like, uh, yeah. So, uh, inversion was a game you had to download. It looked like a cute, maybe eight or 16 bit type game. Probably mm-hmm. like, yeah, like eight or 16 bit type game. And, Basically, it just starts up. It says Eversion, and it's like a cutesy platformer, and you're a weird little like cartoon character, and you just start running to the right and like platforming, and at some point, it just says, press E to evert. <laughs> and you're like, what the hell is that? And you press that, and basically, everything goes like dark-sided. Like, the colors change, everything looks creepy, the music is weird and sad, and like scary, Mm. And it's super weird. And it's, you know, it's a, it's a full game. Like, I don't, I don't remember how many levels there are, but you can play through it. And as the game goes along, like, the levels get scarier and creepier. The, you know, the differences between the normal and the everted versions are less and less. And it's more just, like, all, like, weird and Lovecraftian and horrifying. Super cool game. Nice. Super awesome. And, like like I said, if you just found it on the net and were, like what is this and downloaded it and played it you were just like what (laughs) what we're gonna have to put that one in the corral for the indie horror rodeo oh yeah man but (laughs) yeah i think so doki doki obviously takes a huge influence from that game because Mm -hmm. it presents itself as such a like innocent and cutesy thing but it's actually super weird and scary and the more the game goes on uh the scarier and weirder and more fucked up it gets. It also kind of plays with the inherent creepiness in the dating sim genre. Yes. Because the the protagonist, sometimes there's like little cutscenes that are a little off color. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. And, you know, besides all the other horror going on, there's that like layer of like, am I a creep playing a game like this? Oh, yes, brother. Now, here's my sidebar, okay? (laughs) Sidebar about visual novels. All Mm. right. Visual novels. Okay, so this (laughs) is a term that I heard for the first time a few years ago. And I was like, what the fuck is that? I don't know what that is. And I started looking (laughs) into it, and I was like, oh, okay. All right. Now, see, we used to call these dating sims. (laughs) And... So basically, in Japan, uh, I'm going to say in the late 80s, this genre kind of started to take off. It was around the time that you could have a console that could render like character portraits and splash art and stuff. Yeah, I um, think it was kind of a subset of the like detective mystery genre. Uh, sure. Those were really popular in the mid to late 80s on the, the Japan-centric PCs. Right. And then, yeah, the, the whole horny dating thing came as an offshoot of that, I think. Right. Well, so it's an interesting genre because basically all you do is click through dialogue, look at stuff, and occasionally make choices. Occasionally, Um, yeah. Occasionally. And there's always been kind of two branches of this genre. On the one hand, you have games that are, they are narrative focused and you're mostly like making story choices and, you know, trying to solve a mystery or do something like that. Mm-hmm. And then there's the ones that are just dating sims. Right. Where you're supposed to like, you're basically like, oh, a boy. And there's a bunch of girls. And like, oh, I get to date one of them. Somehow they're all interested in you. Yeah. <laughs> and they're like really weird and porny. 
Well, and they all, all the girls tend to be Japanese character tropes, right? Yeah. So there's there's always going to be one girl that's going to like the shrinking violet, mm-hmm. and one's going to be the confident, smart, athletic one, and one's going to be the kind of like girl next door. Yeah. Well, and so I guess what I'm getting at here is that it wasn't for a long. First of all, this genre was not popular in the West, like no. at all. Mostly, it just didn't even make it over because anything that was on a console was not going to get approved for America because for years and years and years like the whole 90s it was like games are for kids yeah like even if adults play them they have to be appropriate for kids and like you know violence is more acceptable in america mm-hmm. you know etc cetera, etc cetera. not gonna get into that but we all know about that um, they're all extremely dialogue heavy it would take yeah. a, a, a monumental effort to translate it all right so for a long time this stuff just didn't exist in America mm-hmm. and when it did it was the stuff that was very much not porny so yeah. like for example uh, Ace Attorney is like a big one that you know Phoenix Wright Ace Attorney sure that whole series uh, became popular here and all those came out here those are really cool games they're super not porny sometimes the <laughs> setups for some of the cases are like a little weird where it's like really but it's mm-hmm. not like nobody Nobody does anything inappropriate, which is great. I love it. Um, but uh, the other things that we got in the West frequently were RPGs and strategy RPGs that had elements of these games. Mm, so I yeah. remember like um, the big game on Sega Saturn was uh, Sakura Wars, which never actually came out in America, but got a lot of press coverage. Like It was supposed to be this big thing, and it never came out. However, we did get uh, through the years a few different games that had elements of this genre, basically sure. meaning that you could talk to people and develop relationships with them, and it was in that style of like character portrait text. Yeah, um, even the newer Fire Emblem games have a heavy dose of that. Right. So even before we got Fire Emblem, though, we got Thousand Arms and uh, Riviera: The Promised Land, mm. um, which were two. In the, if you're into like SRPGs, like they were really popular games in that genre. Um, and like that's kind of how we saw it then later Fire Emblem was brought over to the west so Fire Emblem is like the flagship like SRPG with heavy heavy visual novel dating sim elements Um, yeah it's got a long history but they added the dating sim thing I think in the Wii version yeah so you know they had 20 years of strategy RPG history before they added that feature right but it was also like we they hadn't been in America that long when they did that. So a lot of people's first like experience with these games was with that. The you know? Wii version. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so it's it's interesting to me. I guess the reason why I'm talking about all this is because I think a lot of Americans, I'm including myself here, like your first brush with this genre was like, <laughs> oh, maybe these are like, you know, normal games. And then you kind of see the underside of it and you're like oh no yeah because like the other thing is that a bunch of anime adaptations of these games uh became very popular in america Mm. um and i watched a bunch of those uh (laughs) so the three big series are steins gate which is kind of like a part of a sub series that's called like the science adventures Mm. um but steins gate there's higurashi when they cry and fate Hmm. So let's so Steinsgate is actually like 
more like the classy side of it where it is actually just like a sci-fi story there's relationship elements but it's not like a dating sim you're not supposed to like really do that like you can pursue a relationship with characters for story reasons but it's not like that Mm. um higurashi is interesting because that anime uh became infamous for having really bad animation uh and it became sort of like a meme the faces of higurashi which is basically like whenever (laughs) characters were like scared or supposed to be upset they just look like they were made of jello and they were all like wobbly gobbly and it was like super fucking weird wow um but that's like a horror anime it's like Mm. one of the the few like pure horror animes out there but it has the exact same flow as doki doki literature club which is interesting um Basically, the, you, you're like a dude who joins like a club with these girls and you have to sit through so much of them like doing arts and crafts and playing games before like <laughs> horror shit starts happening that it's like kind of mind blowing where it's like, why would you make this choice? Like, <laughs> what the fuck is this? But that seems to have had like a pretty big influence or impact upon Doki Doki. Now, the other one is the Fate series. Uh, these are pretty interesting because the first one that got really popular in America was called Fate Zero, which was sort of like the gritty reboot of the series. So it was all about just like grim, dark action. Uh, and it's actually very good. And like nobody fucks, which is also good. (laughs) But then like they made another one called uh, Fate Stay Night where like people kind of fuck and i was like this is horrible like this is the worst thing i've ever seen (laughs) like just for context at one point like a teenage boy basically like has sex with the reincarnation of king arthur who's now like a woman what yeah dude i can't make this shit up what horrible yeah and i was like okay i guess these are actually just like shitty hentai games and i'm like not down with this but it's basically that description did make me like super horny though Oh, yeah, I know. I'm sorry. I apologize. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, it's just like, I guess what I'm trying to get at is this whole genre is like really, really fraught. Like there's a lot of gross, like horny stuff. There's a lot of like kind of, you know, weird underage girl stuff that's like Mm -hmm. super, super not cool. Um, Mm -hmm. There's a lot of fans who defend this shit to the death. Um, I mean, it gets pretty lurid. I mean yeah if you're curious look on steam no don't tell them to do that james steam has a glut of these like just really pervy games he'll ruin their whole week dude it's the holidays don't subject them to that you gotta be informed actually don't (laughs) do do it in private browsing so it doesn't keep recommending them to you yeah that'll ruin your week oh my god yeah (laughs) but it's so i guess like what i'm trying to say is that i stay away from this genre like a lot sure even though i sort of accidentally dipped my toe into it through watching anime and those you know the steins gate anime is very good the fate zero anime is really good higurashi is something it's interesting at least uh do you think these are for like lonely young men to learn how to talk to women or something i like i don't what's the point of i i don't know it's it's male fantasy for sure it's just like I mean, yeah, like lonely anybody, young, old, whoever, men who just like 
don't have the attention of women. Well, they all seem to skew towards high school. That's why I said that. Yeah, but I think that's more of a creepy thing than mm. like a, some sort of genre okay. hallmark or something. I think that's like just a creepy thing. Well, I think, you know, Doki Doki Literature Club helps bring that creepiness out then, you know? Ex- okay, so that's the big thing that I really love about this game is that it's like a total deconstruction of this type of game. Mm. And if you're like me and you're the kind of person who's like, this stuff should probably be shot into the sun. Uh, (laughs) This game is awesome because we'll get into it more later, but I think there's obviously the surface level deconstruction of like, it turns into a horror game and everybody knows that now. Like it's not a spoiler, but there's also an underlying philosophical deconstruction that I found really, really, really fascinating Mm -hmm. and I couldn't stop thinking about. And I was like, this is, fucking genius but it also commits to the bit so there is some like creepy stuff that happens mm-hmm. and you're just like wow i yeah okay that is definitely a picture of that girl eating a piece of chocolate like that <laughs> but like i think that it sort of earns it because the deconstruction is like so good and i guess mm-hmm. what it has to say about this stuff is really really good absolutely Thank you for listening to Zero Brightness. If you'd like to support us directly, you can go to patreon.com slash zero brightness. You can also find and interact with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Discord. All the relevant links are at zerobrightness.com. We'll see you out there. Uh, Let me just say, too, that it's hard to not spoil both of these games. Sure. So I'm just going to say spoilers. Don't fucking at me. Like you just got <laughs> what, like 25 minutes of hot content. You can listen to that if you want. No spoilers. Otherwise, you can listen on. You can go play these games and then listen. Yeah. Doki Doki's free and it's like yeah. less than four hours. Yep. I'm scared. It's like two dollars right now. Yeah. Go play also it. short. Yeah. yeah. You should definitely at least dabble. I mean, yeah. Doki Doki. You can just you'll get some ending. Um, I'm scared you can at least play the really cool parts of it yeah, because uh, they're all up front. Um, but yeah, so I'm just going to say spoilers. I'm not going to sit here and try and spoiler alert all the different times in this episode we're going to say something that is a spoiler. You heard it. Don't at me. Do, do, do not. <laughs> <laughs> Doki Doki Literature Club 2017 computer game. Dan Salvato. Um, yeah, man. Let's fucking do it. Yeah, so you're a teenage boy, I think starting your first year in high school or something like that, first day of school, and a girl approaches you to join her literature club, and the literature club consists of four young anime girls, all with different different personalities, but the one thing they all have in common is that they're all really interested in you as a person, and mm-hmm. they want to get to know you. Yeah. You're, you're fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, you're handsome, fascinating. All the girls like you because it's a dating sim. And that's the way the world works in neckbeard fantasies. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> Love that shit, dude. I can smell the basement from here. So, essentially, you know, the game boils down to reading a ton of dialogue, um, talking to these girls that are all interested in you, occasionally writing some poems 
that somehow affect the game in different meta ways. And then choosing to spend time with different girls on different days to see if your personalities click or something. Right. And <laughs> so, okay, the, the structure of the game is basically... Uh, well, okay, here's, here's another kind of side note. I'll try and make this quick. But <laughs> these, I think the real dating sims, you're meant to play them a few different times or visual novels. You're meant to play them a few different times and get different outcomes. Mm -hmm. Like that's kind of the point of the game. Uh, and so some of the more recent ones, the more acclaimed ones, like I was talking about, like Steins Gate, for example, they actually wrote in a, a like an explanation for you kind of exploring different time elements. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's the same with the anime adaptation of Higurashi. So like the Higurashi anime, uh, like anime is like kind of shitty, but there is like one sort of brilliant piece of writing where like they basically wrote it so that your character is like, or the, not your, the main character is in a time loop. Mm -hmm. And so he has to keep going back and like replaying the same events over and over. And there's always like a wind up or an intro, but it gets shorter and shorter each time. So like oh, the right. first intro is super long and boring. Groundhog day. Yeah. The second <laughs> one is like still surprisingly boring. And then the third and fourth loops are like really short and punchy. Yeah. Um, so this game I feel like is very influenced by those anime adaptations of visual novels. Cause it has that structure. Like you're going to play the loop a few times and yeah. it's just going to get more creepy and weird and degraded each time. For sure. I think it's really cool. And like I said, if you've consumed any of this media, it's like, Oh, that's actually a really cool choice. <laughs> Yeah, so, you know, in, in in the literature club, there are uh, four girls, essentially. And these are the girls that you're going to spend the entire duration of the game with. Um, the first is Sayori, who is your childhood friend. She's the, the girl next door trope. She's kind of like, I don't know, there's always in the animes, there's always like the girl that's like kind of like a little sister character right. thing going on. Um, that's definitely her. There's a uh, Yuri. She's kind of a, uh, a really shy girl, but she's like really pretty, like kind of like a shrinking violet sort of trope. Right. Um, there's Natsuki, uh, who is kind of like the Sundere kind of trope where she's kind of like brash and like, but she like is secretly likes you. Yeah. <laughs> and then Monica is kind of the the perfect girl uh trope she's like confident athletic smart right but and she's monica is also the impetus to the story uh right. the meta story overall yeah so basically when you play the first loop of the game it's just like a normal like like dating sim game mm -hmm. uh and it's super boring by the way too it's like brutal uh <laughs> which i i mean like if you listen to our episode last week about yume nikki like i appreciate stuff like that if it's to a good end and it is so it's not a criticism but holy hell like man i don't know i was like losing my mind it's so dialogue heavy and then there's like yeah. a real chipper music loop that just <laughs> constantly plays while you're like smashing the next next button so you can keep reading this yeah just like never-ending kind of glib yeah. um glittery kind of cutesy dialogue 
Yeah, it's super brutal. <laughs> uh, but so when you get to kind of like the end of the first loop, um, basically Sayori, the girl next door, best friend type character, mm-hmm. uh, she admits to you that she suffers from depression. Yeah. Really really bad and this is where you start to see that the writing in this game is actually really really good yeah because like up to this point you're like what am i doing am i on a list for playing this what is this final warning for spoilers by the way yes final warning get off the train if you don't want that piping hot spoilers that we are serving to you in the dining car okay yeah Um, so the writing about it is amazing. Sayori is like describing her depression and Mm -hmm. how she feels worthless. And that basically her personality is that she wants to help other people feel better because she doesn't feel like she can ever feel good. Right. And it's like super brutal. Yeah. And you're just like, oh my God. And this was the moment when I was like, okay, this game is genius because I think the problem with these games inherently is like we were saying earlier, it's like this just boneheaded fucking male fantasy that like sure. you have these women who think not only are you the sun and they orbit around you, but also that like they have nothing going on under yeah. the hood. Like exactly. internally, they're just completely empty. Yeah. And that's more or less how these games are, are written. And then this game is like, oh no, like you just think that because I like hate myself and that's like (laughs) that was nuts like that actually blew my mind I think that's like the best scene in the game does I feel like my favorite moment because I was like holy shit this is such a crazy like deconstruction of this terrible genre you can tell me if I'm wrong but I think that happens like right after the game like sexualizes her in a creepy way don't they like fall on each other and he has his like hands on her wrists or some shit yeah yeah you're right there's totally like a creepy slightly exploitative like something out of an anime that yeah if you watch enough anime you're you just kind of like oh well there's that you know <laughs> yeah i i think this game works really well if you're the kind of person who like thinks about critical issues and stuff but also like consumes some of this like problematic media because sure. like it makes you realize how much like really like garbagey stuff that you just sort of like you just sort of like pass over yeah. like that's fine i guess watching anime is the new listening to burzum <laughs> stop <laughs> saying shit like that james <laughs> god damn it oh my god i'm i'm gonna figure out time travel so i can erase burzum so you stop making jokes about it <laughs> fuck god damn it i mean yeah god damn it you know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> yeah, totally. I mean, everyone gives Hideo Kojima a pass, right? No, I don't give him a pass. I think he's an idiot. You know what I'm saying, though. <laughs> yeah, they do. They super do. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so, yeah, basically, and then the big, I mean, that to me was like a big twist, but then there's an even bigger twist that happens right after that, which is that she commits suicide. And yes the game breaks and restarts without her yes she no longer exists yeah which is super fucking crazy and that's basically introducing you to the real like hook of the game Mm -hmm. which is that 
it's a self-aware piece of software (laughs) that responds to the things you do so when it restarts she doesn't exist she sometimes tries to pop in and she's just like a glitch yeah uh the game starts to break down and get glitchy from here on out Mm -hmm. um and yeah your second run is just like pretty wacky like you still have to do some of the wind up kind of like boring stuff and then yep uh everything just gets crazy like so for me in the first loop i so there's like uh yuri's like the goth girl basically Mm -hmm. yeah kind of and like the way that you so i didn't get the poem writing thing poem writing thing initially but the way it works is that like after every day you're supposed to write a poem and you share it with your classmates the next day and like the way you what you do is you just select words and then there's like little characters off to the side who show if they like or like dislike the words that you're picking and so initially i was like i don't know i guess i'll just pick all the words that appeal to me and they were all just like death forever and like stuff (laughs) like that you know corpse and then it was basically just like uh it basically made me like go after the goth girl (laughs) but then in the in the next loop she's like totally unhinged like yeah the game like broke her and she's like completely insane she's the kind of like wallflower right and so like what happens is like the game as it's glitching it kind of like enhances her self-doubt yeah and she becomes like really possessive of the player character yeah she gets these like deep intense stares and she like starts talking about her like knife collection and shit and her eyes are super scary <laughs> she's like loki a mall ninja yeah <laughs> but yeah it's it's super scary and weird and like you know yeah shit'll just happen where like the colors change and the music stops and some creepy shit starts happening mm-hmm. like the game is very well directed considering how simple it is like it's literally just character portraits there isn't really animation right uh there's text that sometimes is animated but it's really just changing static images and changing the music and fonts a lot of good fonts the occasional glitch effect yeah a lot of glitchy stuff glitchy fonts love a good glitchy font um yeah but yeah it's it's super cool because it's like once again it just starts deconstructing the game immediately like on your second loop the whole thing is super messed up and it's once again it's like you thought you were playing this fantasy but instead the fantasy is coming to stab you in your sleep (laughs) well speaking of glitches uh yuri ends up stabbing herself to death with some of her favorite knives Uh and she dies in the classroom and because of a scripting error quote unquote you're unable to leave so you have to like stay with her corpse for a day yeah so like you know the game's like turning to night and then morning comes and you're just like standing next to this corpse Uh uh-huh and it's the music is backwards and really creepy pitched down and yeah you just have to press enter for like 15 minutes (laughs) (laughs) it's wild like the choices this game makes are just like wild and it's so cool (laughs) like i don't know it was so weird like like i i don't this game i don't know if it's fun even but it's like fucking awesome (laughs) i would love to see some kid like playing this 
like going in, into it dark and having no idea what's going on. Yeah, we talked about this a little bit earlier with Spec Ops. Like, I definitely think that a lot of these games, like Eversion, Spec Ops, and Doki Doki, like partially it's meant for people to find it like that. But mm-hmm. this game is so weird and extreme and creepy that I think even outside of that context, it's still just as good. Mm. Like even just looking at it as a piece of like deconstructionist, just wild ass art, like yeah, it's cool. This this might be a great game for non gamers to play because sure. of the extreme lack of interactivity. Yeah, for sure. But it's also so aimed at like nerds. Like I feel like you have to know some <laughs> of this like cultural shit. Yeah, maybe. Otherwise, it's just like, what is this? <laughs> What's wrong with these people? <laughs> Why do people like this? <laughs> I feel like I'm right in the middle of that. I'm like, I sure. I know what this is, and I don't know why they like it. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, after that, you start the third loop. The game is just fucked. Like, it's just so <laughs> messed up and broken. And so you start the third loop, which is all about Monica. <laughs> Only mm. Monica. Yeah, so it turns out that Monica is self-aware that she's part of a game. Uh-huh. And she's resentful that the player character can't spend any time with her. Because she's kind mm-hmm. of the leader of the club, and she's not one of the girls you can really choose. Right. But she's kind of, like, turned absolutely insane. She's self-aware, but she still has the tendencies of a tropey anime girl. Yeah. But yeah, she can do a lot of things to your computer. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> so the game like spills out to your desktop at this point. Also, I, I should say, so throughout you're being shown poems written by characters in the game. We didn't mention this. Uh, mm. And as the game gets more degraded and broken, like these poems get really, really weird and scary. Uh, <laughs> like they'll just be like bloody pieces of paper with like random scratching all over them. <laughs> which is like really awesome and then when you get close to the end of the game in this sort of like third loop final loop uh you start getting like all sorts of weird documents at random times that are just like really scary uh Mm. some of them explicitly hint at like the internal lives of these characters like you know obviously bad shit that they're going through but some of them are also just like weird kind of cosmic horror bullshit that you're like what the fuck is this (laughs) so monarchy even knows that the person playing the game is different from the player character Mm -hmm. um she can read the admin credentials on your windows account so she'll start calling you by name which is cool yeah if you go into the game's install folder turns out you start realizing this at this point you can actually delete the character profiles for all the girls Right. At this point of the game, if you delete her character file, she can come back and she can regenerate herself. So, you know, even Windows Explorer at this point is part of the game. Right. Uh, she could see, if, you know, just like Psychomantis, she could see if you're using Steam or other applications like Twitch to right. play the game. Yeah, so basically in the final loop, she, like, drops the act and starts throwing all this stuff at you. And it changes so that it's just you and her, like, sitting in a room and she's yeah. just staring at you and, like telling you all the stuff that she's pulling off your computer it's really cool and creepy it's like the psycho Manus thing but cranked up to like 11 yeah um, when you launch the game she's literally just staring at you 
Yeah. Like, I think at this point they even, it even drops the title screen and things like that. Yeah. It just, she just pops up and she's staring at you. Uh, you can spend as much time as you want on this screen. Uh, and you will just get weird random messages. Like it'll just be silence and she'll just say something. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of weird stuff they program for her to say. My favorite is her telling you to follow her on Twitter. Um, <laughs> there is an actual Twitter account that they update. It just looks like a weird fan account, but then it's sometimes like glitchy and broken. Uh, nice. It's really good. Um, yeah, it's super cool. I mean, the attention to detail and just the ideas that are present here. It's super, super good. Mm-hmm. And this is sort of sort of the bad ending for the game. Uh-huh. Um, if you delete Monica's character file and you start the game new, it starts up with Outer. But um, I think Sayori becomes self-aware at that point. Yeah. And then Monica will just delete the entire game. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it, basically, when you delete her, she kind of has like a monologue that's, once again, very well written. Her trying to reckon with like her not existing... And then yeah. game boots up, turns out Sayori now is self-aware, and then Monica just deletes the whole game while, like, a song written by her plays. Yeah, she's um, singing to you. Yeah, which is also, like, a really nice touch. It's very weird and creepy and good. Um, yeah, so I guess that's the quote-unquote bad ending, but I think that's, like, actually the good ending, in my opinion. Yeah. Like, in terms of, like, the story, I think that's a cool ending. Um I guess they intend for you to basically 100% the game in order to see the quote-unquote good ending, so... Yeah, but you have to 100% it in a strange way. You kind of have to break the game to do it. Yeah. Um, Basically, you have to do all the right choices in Chapter 1 with each girl. So you'll you'll choose one girl, play through the first chapter, and save it, and then go back and do the other girls, and apparently that's how you get the good ending. I've never done that. But uh, yeah, yeah. That's I mean, that's how you do it with these games because they're all like save anywhere, and it just boots mm-hmm. onto the screen, you know, that you're on. And so that is like how you're supposed to play these games. But I didn't like that as much because it made you approach it just like a normal dating sim visual novel game. Mm-hmm. And I thought, I guess to me, the point of it was that it wasn't that. So it was a little bit weird, in my opinion, to then have like the good ending behind that. But I also just I didn't like the good ending. It's just it's kind of the same as the bad ending except you get like an encouraging message (laughs) so besides all of that there is a ton of metagame easter eggs um if you go into some of the game files and change their file types i think there are a couple like um a couple files you could change to dot png or dot jpeg uh you can end up getting qr codes or or you know some text that you could throw into a hex editor and get notes and things crazy it's all really creepy um if you've played through the game and don't want to get super deep into it um there's a wiki with with all the easter eggs and it's super creepy and cool yeah um dude was very creative in what he was doing with a because this game was built with uh basically um dating sim builder type app like a game maker app. so yeah crazy yeah i agree it's super cool and it's super creative and i love how well it's all wrapped up like there's Mm. all this cool meta stuff there's hidden stuff but everything is very well wrapped up uh and presented in a way that it's like it's easy to play it's easy to interact with i like that a lot we'll get into it with i'm scared um Mm. 
I loved that game, but I did not love the ending when it yeah. got really like hands on with the mm-hmm. trying to figure out what's going on with the meta shit in the game. Mm-hmm. I actually didn't like that and I didn't think it was fun. I also don't think that game has a great ending. Maybe. Yeah. Spoil- yeah spoilers long. for the rest of this episode. Um, but <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I love how slick everything is in this game. Everything is very like of a piece. It's well made. And yeah, it's just really well written. So some of the best writing is in this supplemental stuff and like extra creepy shit that you find. Mm-hmm. And once again, it all just points towards the characters in this game having an actual inner life and depth to them, which is just such a cool subversion of this genre. Totally. Totally. It's a must play. I mean, it's yeah. free. I, I, I 100% agree. Doki Doki Literature Club might be my first five star rating for the show wow because it's free and because it's just such a um wholly unique experience yeah yeah five star saters (laughs) yeah i uh i agree i think it was great it was so unique and cool and like i said i think especially if you have a fraught relationship with this type of media you'll enjoy Mm -hmm. someone picking it apart and then rebuilding it into something horrifying and cool yeah. actually. Wow, remember yeah. cool stuff? I think it's cool. It's back. Cool stuff is back. <laughs> I'm through being cool. Oh, baby, drop the clue. <laughs> All right. I'm scared. Are you? <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh petition to call it im scared because it's all one word <laughs> imsco red imscarred so yeah it's all one word if you're trying to google this one i'm scared uh a game with a sort of open development from 2012 to 2016 made by ivan zanotti yeah uh, I, I i didn't know anything about this game uh you said it was tight i think somebody in discord said it was tight so i made the two dollar plunge <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so this game was in development for a while, and it's such a weird game. Like, we'll get into it more, but essentially you're meant to just restart it a bunch of times as mm-hmm. you're playing it. Like, I think like hundreds of times by the time you finish it. Yeah. <laughs> and it's funny because some of them are like the game crashes or freezes and you have to restart it. Sometimes you're just stuck and you have to restart it to get the solution to whatever puzzle you're on. Mm-hmm. But there's also a few false endings and it's clear that as the game went further into development it got more of these false endings so like i played a version of this that i thought was over after 15 minutes and then i played another version that i thought was over after about 45 minutes Hmm. those may have been the same version of the game <laughs> uh i'm talking about before i played it for the show and like yeah. completed it yeah this is like back you know a, a few years back um those may have been the same version of the game and i may have just been confused uh but this is a very weird and confusing game yeah it was finally complete in 16 when the steam version dropped right and i guess so that's the definitive version yeah, it is interesting, though, if you, like, look on YouTube at all, you can find people playing older versions. Some of them look similar, but a little different. Some of them look really different. Mm-hmm. It's very interesting. Well, let's talk about how this game looks. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there's about 12 pixels, <laughs> and that's it. 
Well, it's 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 a first person adventure game. Yep. But it's very very primitive looking. Yeah. Um all the architecture is basically just made out of cubes. Mm-hmm. Um super low resolution textures, uh super low poly objects, chunky it's pixels. Very chunky pixels. Like the the you can't raise the resolution in this game. Yeah. Uh, which actually might give you an extreme headache, like it did for me. Okay. Um, I don't. I don't know if it's the combination of the really cramped field of view, uh, the chunky pixels, or both. But this game, like, literally made my head hurt. Uh, yeah. I actually had to play it in windowed mode a little bit because that made it feel better to my eyes. Crazy. Yeah. I I didn't have that, but I will say that just the weird look and feel of the game is very off-putting and unsettling, and. This game creeped me the fuck out. It was like... Very every- short draw distance. Yeah. It's like so Silent it's like, Hill draw distance. Yeah. Every time you boot it up, it's like you immediately start sweating. Yeah. And then, like, the sound design is really good and creepy, too. Similarly, like, low res, kind of, like, everything sounds, like, downscaled. Like, mm-hmm. you know, 16-bit or lower. And the combination of all that stuff just made this game super creepy to me. So the beginning of this game has like a text roll where it's like talking about like, hey, this is, I'm Ivan and this is my game. I'm sorry for any errors or glitches you get. Um, yeah. This is my first game or whatever. So yeah, you start in like basically a room, which ends up sort of being kind of your hub towards the end of the game. Right. It's got a closet. It's got a ladder into the basement for some reason. Right. And um, the basement kind of branches off into different areas of the game. Yeah. That kind of make no sense at all. Yeah, so it's an interesting mix because this game is so based around you just restarting the game and ending up somewhere else that there's kind of like a nonsense progression to it, Yeah, uh, which we've talked about in other games we've covered. But then there's also a hub world, and it I think, unless I'm mistaken, it is possible to get everywhere in the game through the hub world I eventually. Eventually, yeah. yeah. Uh, so it's really interesting that it's kind of a, a bit of an open world game in a weird way. But and especially towards the end. But initially, it's like you boot it up, you're one place. You try and solve that area. You go to the next area. But in order to do that, solve puzzles or find the next area or whatever, you may end up having to restart the game a few times. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You may end up having to look at files on your desktop. So the mm-hmm. game makes a folder on your desktop that says Imscarid. <laughs> and it starts putting notes in there. And some of them are, are yeah. solutions to puzzles, notes for the game. Some of them are just creepy shit. And some of the times, the, sometimes the game will ask you to put in your name before you start it. And depending on what name you put in, you'll get a different scene. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think that does it like the second or, time, the second or third time you boot the game up. Yeah. Yeah, and and that becomes like a weird mechanic in the game. That's basically like a fast travel almost. Yeah. Like once you get the clues that uh that let you use it. Mm-hmm. Um it's it's really interesting. Like it's such a purposefully messy game. Like There's one part, one of my favorite puzzles in the game is this uh grocery store. Oh yeah. And you start inside it and the lights are off, so of course you got to figure out how to turn the lights on, blah, blah, blah. But it gives you a grocery list 
that you look at on your desktop. And yeah. it, it's like a bunch of things you need to uh, accomplish to get out of this puzzle. But every time you play the game, you're inside the store. And then you, sometimes you have to get outside of the store and you can't figure out how. But so you end up like rage quitting the game. And then when you launch it again, you're outside. Yeah. So every time you need to go between outside and inside, you have to quit the game and relaunch it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And also, like like you said, the lists and a lot of the stuff you get in the game, they're either through files on your desktop or just little creepy signs everywhere that talk to you. Like yep. sometimes they tell you what to do. Sometimes they're just weird and cryptic and creepy. Uh Sometimes the text files will give you links to YouTube videos where you're actually going to YouTube and watching what the game wants to tell you. Yeah, for sure. It It's really, really advanced in the ways that it breaks the fourth wall and the ways that it makes you exit the game. And kind of like you were saying with Doki Doki, it makes your desktop and Windows Explorer like part of the game. Mm-hmm. But I think it's way more intense in this game. Like... It'll even open up tabs in your web browser and open up a YouTube channel. Yeah. Yeah. Without telling you. Yeah. It's crazy. And I like that up to a point. I think some (laughs) of it is like super, super brilliant. Um, Some of it I wasn't as into. (laughs) Sure. Well, it's, you know for all of its brilliance and whatever it's still a very very chunky basic sort of adventure game and you have to deal with bullshit like hedge mazes uh, which can be painful and you know so there's kind of two sides of that coin I actually really like the hedge maze because it was super creepy Mm because like so basically there's a hedge maze section where the first thing you have to do is figure out that they gave you a fake map and then (laughs) yeah you get a real map and that lets you go into the real hedge maze. So you're in, it's almost like two connected areas. Yeah. Then once you're in the real hedge maze, you have to flip back and forth between like a dark world and a light world kind of situation. Mm-hmm. And I liked that part because it was scary as fuck. Like I think from a puzzle solving gameplay perspective, it's very frustrating and overly difficult, but just from the atmosphere at end of it like the music is amazing the dark world is super scary because it's so dark and there's like a kind of ghostly figure hunting you um <laughs> you're hunted a lot in this game yeah and it's the figures are actually really creepy like they're just these basic little sprites but they're super scary and the sound design is always like great you know like <laughs> it's definitely a headphones kind of game totally um, there's one def- part where you're being chased around a parking garage. Yeah. Uh, one of the most frustrating but creepy moments of the game, I guess. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And, like, there's parts you have to play a few times because you can't figure out how to do it. and You're being chased. You keep dying. But, like, the atmosphere is so cool. And, like, the game just keeps drawing you back in. Mm-hmm. That said, frustration is a big part of this game. And it's undeniable. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, there there are only so many, like, low-poly, mazy chase sequences I can deal with. Yeah. Um, luckily, it doesn't overstay its welcome very much. And it does right. keep changing things up and keeps it interesting for the most part. Yeah. Until the end, which is kind of... The end is sort of a mistake, but... Yeah. <laughs> um, I did want to mention that there's 
really only one fight in the game where the game just like randomly hands you a gun and you have to kill something. Yeah. You don't have enough bullets though. So you have to close the game and like go into the configuration file and like give yourself enough bullets to do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it has like a value that you have to change to mm-hmm. six because the game tells you you need six bullets. Yeah. PC gamers know. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes um, you got to go in the I and I file. You got to do it, man. So it's funny you should mention that was actually the point when I stopped enjoying the game was at mm. that. But like I solved that puzzle and I was like, that's genius. And then I had to do that fight and I hated that fight. And not great. Not great. And then after that, I felt like the game just got really frustrating. I actually didn't really like the grocery store part. Really? Okay. Yeah. It's a cool idea, but the fact that there's no prompting you to like figure out that like shit you can flip between inside and outside. Like I walked around for mm. so long that first yeah. time. Then once I figured it out, I was like, okay, that's fine. But then it, I was <laughs> already just like so over it that I didn't enjoy solving the puzzle. Gotcha. You know what yeah. I mean? Like I solved it but I was so fucking over it. Well, the and, game really wears out its welcome at the end. Yeah. Because there's this puzzle where you got to find three valves and you turn this thing and then out pops a door, but you can't go through the door until you have all the achievements for the game. <laughs> oh my God. So the I game know. starts this loop thing to where, you know, you launch the game and you're back in that room. And you can go to a bunch of different parts of the game to try to unlock these achievements. And yeah. it really seems like a fool's errand to extend the playtime out for an ending that's not really worth it. Yeah. So Especially I for somebody it. that isn't a Chivo hunter. Uh, yeah. I'm not looking for all those Chivos. Dude, I hated that section of the game. Like, when I went up to the door and that dialogue bob, uh, box popped up, I was like, is this a weird joke that I don't get? <laughs> like, what is going on here? And I was like, no, it actually expects me to do this. And I was really unhappy because, like, I had gotten most of them just from playing the game. And some of them were just random where, like, you look through a hole and you get an achievement. But it's like, yeah, it's so lame because, like, you have to look them up. A lot of them, there's no way you would know. They don't, they're not explicit. There's no helpful, like, go here. It's like, it's sort of like the end of uh, Ethan Carter, but just, like, really bad. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah. Like, at, at the end of Ethan Carter, you basically get a map and you have to go and solve all the puzzles that you didn't solve because you can technically get to the end of the game having solved only, like, one or two of the five or six puzzles. Mm hmm. Um, and I, you know, I didn't love that, but I didn't <laughs> hate it either. It was just like weird choice in the final definitive edition. They give you fast travel. It's not a huge deal. It's just a weird choice. Yeah. This game does it, but it's like almost purposely wildly frustrating. And I was just like, dude, are you kidding me? Like, <laughs> and okay. So here's the thing too, is that the ending is a very non ending. Like, mm-hmm. You, when you get to the real ending of the game you're just in the hub world but it's empty and it says the end yeah and like the lights are on so you can see everything yeah Finally. so now there is a cool narrative thing going on here I get why they made that choice it's just mm-hmm. I don't like it <laughs> <laughs> so the narrative let's talk about the narrative though for a second sure yeah so this game is so weird and meta that it is hard to grasp what's going on with the narrative but it's presented in a way that's like 
really, really cool. So mm-hmm. basically, initially, you're playing the game, you're exploring these areas and seeing all this stuff, and you keep seeing this white figure that's called Whiteface. 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 Uh, you keep seeing Whiteface. He looks like a weird ghost. And about a third of the way through the game, you are told that the name of another character that looks kind of similar is her. Yeah. So and there's pictures of her. Yeah. Like in in the basement hallway, there's a picture of her. So you've seen kind of like little little bits of like her. And right. it seems like Whiteface is somehow involved with it. Right. And so now there's a second character introduced. She now will stalk and hunt you like Whiteface was earlier or she'll just appear like there's some great scenes where you're just looking out a window and you see one of them and it's just creepy, you mm-hmm. know, like they're just chilling, but it's like not chill. Whiteface's room. You see his room a couple times and yeah. it's just a chair and a noose. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And like, and so the longer you play the game, you're thinking, okay, there's a narrative between these two ghostly figures and you sort of discover that at some point, basically Whiteface kills her Mm -hmm. uh and you are whiteface kind of like it's presented as if that's like the end of the game or that's a twist in the game but after that and that's where that's kind of where i think the really really good part of the game ends um after that the story is still interesting it's basically that now the game is being openly self-aware and saying that it doesn't want you to leave or stop playing it or end the game Mm -hmm. and that's actually the part that i think narratively is really kind of fascinating it's very similar to doki doki literature club it's like uh it's supposed to creep you out and make you feel like the game is fucking with you but also like it's obsessed with you like it doesn't (laughs) want you to leave and that's kind of what the ending is like before you can actually end the game it's like giving you all these dialogue prompts like no you can't leave or like there's points in the game where you can like you get a prompt to like kill yourself and the game's like can't let you do that you know like i don't want you to leave and yeah. Uh, well, so whatever is writing to your desktop, sometimes it says it's Whiteface. Uh, sometimes it's implied that it's the actual developer of the game. Right. Uh, and sometimes you even log in with the developer's name. Yep. Um, it's it's very ambiguous as to what is haunting your computer. <laughs> right. It is cool, though. Yeah, if you enter different names, it's like you're logging in as that thing, and you can mm-hmm. see a different part of the game or experience a different part of the game. Like, it's a cool idea. It feels cool to experience. I think it's neat. I think it's based on the ending. It's maybe a little underwritten. Sure. And it kind of sucks that, like, the most interesting narrative part of the game when it's, like, trying to get you to stay is paired with like the worst part of the game gameplay wise (laughs) true yeah um Um, it yeah it does get a little teeny bit long in the tooth i think it can be like 30 minutes shorter or like three or four fourth wall breaking glitches shorter yeah totally (laughs) yeah but i think like even if you just play the part of the game that's like pretty accessible which is like up until that boss fight i would say is like mm-hmm. pretty accessible it's a super cool game like yeah i really can't harp on enough about how good the atmosphere is how good the spookums are like <laughs> not just shit popping out at you but shit just kind of being around you and scaring you getting inside your head a lot like i think the thing that it does better than doki doki is that 
like using your desktop as part of the game thing. Um, the puzzle you have to solve with the YouTube video is really cool. Yeah. Uh, like th- it just does that meta thing really, really well. Mm-hmm. Well, it just takes it farther as, as yeah. a puzzle or gameplay element. Yeah. Doki totally. Doki, a lot of Doki Doki is just face value stuff, you know? Right. Yeah. Well, even like, and yeah, it's like figuring that shit out and like solving it feels really good in this game. Cause it's so weird. Yeah. Like, okay. So that YouTube puzzle, right? Okay. This is so good. So basically at a, you're stuck in this hedge maze. You've been in this fucking hedge maze forever. Right. <laughs> and you're trying to find some like keywords to get a password and you do that. And you get like a YouTube video. And when you finally do that, uh, you go to a YouTube video. It's pretty creepy. It's just the character her, but it's all glittery and or jittery and like glitched out. And uh, it's flashing numbers at you. Mm. And then basically you get a document and you have to match the numbers to the letters and it spells out a phrase, which you then yep. type into like the password input uh, before you <laughs> open the game. And then it takes you to where you need to go. It's like, that's fucking cool, man. Like, yeah, it is. And it's done really organically. Like, I think if, you know, a game that was slicker and more mainstream or whatever tried to do that, it would be in a really, like, hacky way. Mm, Yeah, very true. Yeah. I love... It's, like, that kind of rawness of the game lets them do crazy shit like that. And it's it's pretty mind-blowing. Yeah, and that's something that makes it inherently a PC game, too. Like, you can't do that with any other console. This has to be on your computer that's getting the ghost fires. Yeah, totally. Yeah, it's it's a really, really cool game. It's, it's very much made for its platform. I also think, too, like even if you just like this art style, uh, this is definitely the best game that's done kind of in this chonky lo-fi <laughs> art style. There More are a like few lo-fi. Of, yeah. There's a few other sort of short indie PC horror games that got some got some love around this time that I don't think are as good or even just as fully developed as this game. Mm. Um, I played a lot of these just because I was like fascinated by it. You know, I was like, yeah. this is weird. Uh, I didn't super get into most of them, but mm. this is definitely the best one. Yeah. And it's like two dollars. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I mean, it's probably better than like Resident Evil 6. <laughs> oh man, I was like watching some footage of that the other day cuz I was like, dude, I've just never even like really looked at this game. You know what I mean? Like it was just yeah. off the table completely for me. And I watched some footage of it and I was like kind of shocked. Like I was like, wow, this is really like what they did. It's crazy. Yeah. It's like Fonzie jumping the shark over and over forever (laughs) if Fonzie entered like a quantum loop where he just keeps going over that shark forever (laughs) yeah well there's okay there's all these like shooting mechanics where you can just get down on the floor and you can like play the whole game lying down on the floor and just like roll around (laughs) it's like supposed to be like tactical but it's just like weird looking super weird (laughs) That's what I wanted from the Resident Evil series. Yeah, totally. Tactical floor action. But yeah, I uh, 
I think I think people should play I'm Scared. It's really, really good. I feel like I am starting to feel a little bit guilty because I feel like I spent a lot of that segment complaining about it, but... Uh, <laughs> it, well, it's, it's not a perfect experience, you know? Yeah. I think it's just like, don't worry about completing it. Like... Sure. Just play it as long as you're having fun with it. And I think it's abstract enough that, like, most people could just sort of walk away. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Yeah. Right? I played it. It was creepy. The end. Yeah. It's yeah. really good though, and it's really creepy. Like I really I know I keep saying that too, but like I was like surprised. I was like, "Oh wow, I'm getting like <laughs> real creepy vibes." Yeah. From this game. I really like I love like lo-fi creepy stuff though. And like yeah. glitchy shit. That's my jam. Yeah. It's not perfect, but um I don't know if if you're just curious about it, you should totally do it. Yeah. I mean, it's $2. Come on. Yeah. What's the star rating on this one, dude? Mm, well, it's not perfect, uh, but I, it is a must play because of the value. I would say uh, four and a quarter stars. Four and a quarter must play. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. You heard it here first. <laughs> I mean, you didn't. I mean, maybe you did. I don't know what you know about. You should check it out. It's a good... It's good spook them up. It's been a while since we did like a first person adventure exploration type game. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So it was kind of nice to return to that. That's sort of a hallmark of the horror gaming genre now. And I'm here for it. I usually enjoy these games, you know, unless they're terrible. I mean, even if they're terrible, indie horror games forever. Oh yeah. hundred percent. Give me that garbage. There'll be something (laughs) good in there. Yeah, dude. Give me that. Give me that cheap, cheap garbage. Love it. <laughs> I think that's like half of Itch's bottom line, you know? Just like shitty horror games. Oh, yeah, dude. At least. Because for some reason, everybody's first game is a horror game. Yeah, I mean, you don't have to necessarily do combat. You can have it be sort of glitchy and weird and it only serves the atmosphere you know <laughs> true yeah it's like all shit you couldn't get away with if you did like a you know a team-based fps or something mm-hmm. yeah it's like oh yeah everything has to be perfect yeah it's like uh when greg ginn plays a guitar solo but he's not good enough to play guitar solo so he just makes <laughs> a bunch of noise with his guitar on accident <laughs> yeah and it comes out all right yeah 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 I mean, you know, it depends, but yeah, sure. On the good stuff, it comes out all right. So that's it. Is it Game Club? Game Club. What are we doing? What are we doing? Well, so next, we're doing a year-end wrap-up. Mm-hmm. So no games. Sometimes it's good to reflect. Yeah. Don't play any games. Stop yeah. it. Don't do it. Put down the controller. I see you over there. Close that YouTube tab. I'm watching you. Turn that shit off. Uh, see, that's me trying to get in my fourth wall breaking bag. Do you like that? Mm. Is that good? No? Yeah, I like that. Oh, cool. Um, unless you're asking them. <laughs> them. The fourth wall ease. <laughs> yeah, I, I am. Uh, yeah, and then we're going to play Resident Evil 7. Gosh. Now what? I'm scared. Yeah, what a game, right? <laughs> Big game. Yeah, I played it on release, but I haven't really played it since, so yeah. that'll be cool to jump back into. Yeah, same. I uh, you see how old Jack's doing? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I'm curious to see what it's like on on another playthrough. I had some I had some opinions, had some hot takes. Yeah. So you know, yeah. I I also have opinions. Believe it or not. <laughs> believe it or not. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I believe it. Yeah. Um, cool. All right. Well, yeah. We'll see you guys then.